welcome to Dean's Discuss, a podcast that examines how science and research at UC Davis affect our everyday lives. Join our hosts, Allison Brashear, Dean of the UC Davis School of Medicine, and Michael Lairmore, Dean of the UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine, as they give their thoughts on how the work of scientists, physicians, and researchers affects us all. Hi, Michael. I want to get started a little bit about talking what the basics are about the scope and focus of research in veterinary medicine. Maybe you can uh, bring um, uh, our listeners up to speed. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Allison, and good morning. Um, I think that one of the things that um, uh, we try to do is, is like the School of Medicine, you know, we really are focused on the, the outcome of health. And when you think about health, um, our scope is really about the interface of animals, people, and the environment. We call that the One Health Approach, and it fits very well uh, with the School of Medicine. Uh, We have a variety of programs that we can talk about that are parallel uh, to what is happening across the entire spectrum of biomedical research. But, you know, that One Health Approach has really uh, been to our benefit. Right. Um, so when you say One Health, um, does that mean the intersection of veterinary medicine and health? Um, can you just give a little bit more um, examples? Yeah, I'll give you several examples. Uh, you know, people may be surprised, but our uh, school is funded by institutes like the National Institutes of Health. We're number one in research funding among all the, the veterinary schools because we are at that interface. And the outcome, of course, for NIH is human health, and that makes a lot of sense. Where we fit into that is really everything from the the basics, um, basics research, to all the way to the the translation of that as it relates to clinical trials, for example. With the you know a lot of the same diseases occur in animals as they do in people. Cancer, for example, uh, infectious diseases. We've learned a lot about that, obviously, with the the COVID pandemic. All of those are happening in animals in parallel to people. And the, really the, the sweet spot is learning how we can uh, learn from each other uh, in a comparative way. And that's really all about One Health. So there's a couple examples. I know that um, dogs, you know, dogs are near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, they're how are they doing, by the way? They're doing great. They're doing great. Thank you for asking. It's, um, you know, I think all of our families are ready to kind of come out the other side of all this mm-hmm. pandemic. But back, um, you have some research in ophthalmology, I believe, and some other trials that are really um, looking at dogs and humans. Is that right? Yeah. And that's a really good example because that's where both of our schools work really closely together. The <laughs> ophthalmologist are um, ranging from the clinic, you know, where they're dealing with the eye diseases, the glaucoma, things that are that are common in people, but also in dogs. Um, and then they also work at the at the basic level. Sarah Thomasy, for example, has a comparative ophthalmology group that works with your eye institute and, and your eye researchers and compares what can we learn about the, the genetics of eye diseases that can be in common. And in some cases, we discover things in animals that have parallels because we share some of the same genomes, some of the same mutations, they can be found in people too. So ophthalmology is a, is a really good example. The other is cancer. Uh, you know, recently your cancer center went in, uh, uh, had its uh, 
report card from the National Cancer yes. Institute. We have the comparative oncology uh, program within that uh, comprehensive cancer center. And again, it's, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of parallel clinical trials where we're looking at things that may abate the cancer in dogs, uh, for example, using very similar approaches, actually. The therapeutics that are used to stop cancer in dogs, uh, such as an, an antibody approach that uh, stops the cancer cell from dividing the so-called checkpoint inhibitors. Those are in parallel happening in dogs and in people, and we learn from each other for sure. Well, you know, I think um, UC Davis is really unique in that we have the number one veterinary school in the world um, and with your leadership as dean over the last 10 years. Um, and we have the School of Medicine, School of Nursing. We're really an integrated health system. Uh, and we also have um, the wonderful um, contributions of the ag school, the law school, the business school. And so putting all those things together really gets us some um, tremendous leverage, I think, that um, other schools don't have. And the partnership of the School of Medicine with the School of Veterinary uh, Medicine has been just tremendous. And you're ex exactly right. The Cancer Center is a wonderful example um, you know, I was wondering about the perception of veterinary medicine and how the role has changed. I mean, um, it, it's just been phenomenal what, what's been built here over the last many years and, and much uh, in a tribute to your leadership. Well, thanks. You know, uh, one of the things that that sparks a, the interest in is, is when we look back in the history of medicine, you know, they weren't separate. Uh, they were together. Um, you know, so we go back and think about the word vaccine, where did it come from? It came from the word vodka, uh, which is you know uh, efforts by um, people like Jenner, who was looking at cowpox and discovered that uh, people that milked cows were uh, less susceptible to smallpox, and then began to use that as a vaccination platform. Today, you know, it's the same. We're looking at comparative ways in which we can understand things like the, the COVID uh, epidemic. And, and it really ranges. Just this last couple of weeks, for example, uh, there's been a series of papers out of our faculty that are working together across you know, many teams, uh, but to look at the comparison of the, the genomes of the viruses in animals and in people and look at what really the evolution of those viruses. And, and really from those kind of studies, you can start to think, well, how can we predict um, the variants, which we're, you know, we're all concerned about right now with uh, SARS-CoV-2, the, the virus that causes COVID, but also looking at prediction models. So one of the ways we work together in that One Health Institute is through uh, Epi Center for Dynamics, which is a, a fancy term for really a way to try to use all of that data uh, and your group and your uh, across all those disciplines you mentioned, data is a critical um, common element. Um, and, and that uh, epidemiological data of how we could predict the next pandemic, even using things like satellite data, uh, you know, where you're looking at how, how do the weather trends affect the, the vectors in the environment for viruses. These are all ways in which these disciplines come together. And you need all those, you know, collective brains. You need the, you need the engineers, you need the, the physicians, you need the epidemiologists, you need a whole team of people and that, that is really the, the magic formula for UC Davis, as you mentioned. 
Well, I think one of the things you mentioned is the importance of data, but also using predictive modeling. And I know that um, uh, our groups have been working really on uh, using data to predict the future, whether it's in One Health or using machine learning, AI. Um, that's one of the things I think that's been so interesting about the collaboration. And that collaboration really increased um, dramatically over the last two years um, uh, and was key in, in the early days of COVID to set up testing and, and get our virologists and pathologists and many others to collaborate. I wanted to ask you a little bit about training because um, there's there's been some uh, work uh, with the MSTP program, and you might want to tell our listeners a little bit about that. Um, I think that's incredible that you have such a program. Yeah, we've received several uh, tr what is called training grants, um, and that uh, a medical scientist training program. Uh, was there to, to really understand, and it was well, well recognized that we needed physician scientists. And when we say physician scientists, I'm on an NIH panel that studied that several years ago, but we need those people that understand the clinical side, but also are trained in the basic science side. And that's the, the really the translational medicine component. But veterinarians are the same. Uh, veterinarians, we need them to understand obviously the clinical component, but also the basic science component. And so in order to do that, we've received a grant from the general medicine group at NIH to, to, to develop that training program and also in comparative oncology. So two brand new training grants from the NIH to, to really train those those scientists like that. We call that, you know, another term for it is a dual degree program. So they're earning their, their medical or their veterinary degree, but they're also receiving the basic science like a PhD training. Takes a little bit longer, obviously, uh, in their program, but they are really gonna become the leaders. And we have really evidence of that. In fact, I have several that have gone through this program that now are on our faculty. Uh, so, you know, these are people that are really leaders uh, in the field. They're really pushing the envelope. Uh, some of those were on the front lines of the Ebola uh, uh, pandemic in 2014 and subsequently are on our faculty today. Uh, still, Brian Bird is a good example. Uh, one of those is a distinguished um, young alumni that's going to be, was honored by the university, Kim Dodd, uh, who now heads the uh, foreign animal disease diagnostic lab on Plum Island. And these are coming out of those training programs. That's really incredible. You know, one of the things that we've been really working hard in the School of Medicine is what I call pathway programs. And so that's getting um, a diverse group of students into the School of Medicine and then um, graduating. Um, we've expanded our MD PhD program and we're really trying to get them interested in academic medicine. And we'd love to have more of our students come mm -hmm. on our faculty as you've done. So it's a, it's a, you're a great role model for the School of Medicine. Medicine, you know, that's one of the ways I believe that we can improve health over the long run is to have a diverse group of providers. And I'm, I'm sure that's the same in, in veterinary medicine. You know, one of the things, just a little bit of a pivot here, because we're in California and people are talking about fires and such, but mm -hmm. the impact of the environment um, and the re environmental aspects of One Health, can you just speak a little bit yeah, about yeah. that? So critical, you know, it, it, and when we talk about the environment, it's the full breadth of that. Uh, you know, we have a lot of collaborations in environmental toxicology, for example, you know, which our scientists are looking at things like pollutions in, in the air 
and defining that. And, and where we really work together with your faculty is, is in this area of environmental toxicology is a, is a great example of that. But also in the environment, you know, when we think about the environment, it's really global, uh, you know, tying those two together because uh, we share that environment. So the biodiversity. So we have a lot of programs that are looking at, you know, natural uh, settings, conservations of animals, things like um, what about the sea mammals off the coast of wow. California? Um, and what we're finding is things that, that interface that, for example, if you have an algae bloom off the coast and it produces, and we've seen that when the, the crab season gets shut down, uh, and people can't buy their Dungeness crabs at the holidays. That's because of that, that products of the algae and the environment. Domoic acid is one of those. And that not only infects and potentially is poisonous to people, but also affects things like sea lions, sea otters. And we've done work in that area. Our scientists are measuring that. And sometimes the animals in the environment are the sentinels. It's sort of the true canary in the coal mine, except in this case, maybe a sea otter in the ocean. And they're, they're there and they're sensitive to these toxins. So sometimes we pick it up through our diagnostics or our research in the field, and then they're a harbinger for what may be happening in people as well. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Again, that one health is animals, people, and the environment. We can't separate those two out. And you've got something going on with gorillas, um, gorilla doctors, is that right? I, I, yeah, one of those important species, the mountain gorillas, uh, for example, yeah. are, are one of those sentinels in the environment. In Rwanda, uh, which is where the base of that program, and it was started by you know uh, people in the field that really recognize that they're a charismatic species, they're endangered uh, because of a variety of things, poaching, for example. But working with countries like that, uh, they've really discovered that that's part of their resources. It's, you know, from ecotourism to really bringing uh, biodiversity uh, and, and by working with the ministries of health in those countries, by working with conservation groups, we've set up a veterinary care group that is really called the Gorilla Docs and they oh, intervene real early. So if a mountain yeah. gorilla is, is sick, they're monitoring those, they know the they, they literally know them by name uh, and they are going up in population. They're one of the few populations in the wild that is actually increased by that intervention. And it's interesting because humans are a threat to the gorillas. Um, the ecotourists that come in there may come with their own viruses, influenza or other type of viruses. And it's actually been traced that the human that are the tourists are actually contaminating the animals in that case. Sometimes we talk about the other direction, zoonotic diseases where the animals are causing disease in people, but keep in mind that we're animals too. And we, yeah. we, can, actually, we can actually spread the disease to them. And so they, we can actually threaten their existence as well. But that's, that's a good example of that uh, program. But from Patagonia to the, uh, you know, the coast of Washington to Rwanda, we're making a global impact. Yeah, something to keep uh, as we all um, are seeking to travel and as more and more people get vaccinated, um, the impact that humans make on the environment is really something important to consider. And, you know, we all want to go see uh, the gorillas, but as you're right, we can bring diseases. And I think we've learned so much about um, diseases during the pandemic. You know, I just wanted to take a minute and um, uh, think about ways that you might really think about how um, 
we can even avoid the next pandemic and how veterinary medicine can play a role. I mean, you and I have worked so closely together over these mm -hmm. last 19 months since I've been here, but, you know, let's just get your crystal ball out and, and tell me how you think things might change with the next pandemic. Unfortunately, I think we know that that's somewhere in the future. No one really knows, but uh, what's your crystal ball say? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's on all of our minds. I, you know, I think one of the things it starts with is is understanding where the sources of those are, and certainly things like the Predict program that was funded from the uh, U.S. Agency for International Development. In in that case, they were screening sources of the viruses in nature. You know, the horseshoe bat uh, in in China was known to carry a very similar related virus to SARS, for example. But by knowing that and knowing that the sequence of that virus, the DNA of that virus, they were able to really ramp up very quickly the diagnostics. So that network of, of finding the source is really the key at the beginning of that. And then what happens is really, uh, if a pandemic is starting to happen in the country, in the location, wherever it's at, uh, early detection and sharing of information uh, that's where that epidemiological in, information is really critical. But the countries have to share it, and they have to share it in real time for what they know. And WHO and others are are working on that, but there still is, is faults in the system where the information isn't shared quickly enough. If it's shared quickly enough, then the public health system, something that is really critical for, in all countries, you know, the, the early interventions, the early clinical interventions, early diagnostics, and then knowing how to control the virus, uh, learning from uh, previous knowledge about vaccines. We're right now benefiting from a ramp up of technology that was known prior to the, the COVID pandemic, but was ramped up very quickly for a preventative with a vaccine. And we're rolling that out obviously now. So I think it's all of the above. It's early detection, it's the public health systems, and it's the, the government um, policies that allow that to happen very quickly. If those are aligned, uh, we can prevent pandemics. Any one of those that's, that's at fault or is not working properly can lead to a spread. And once it's spread quickly in a populated area, of course, you know, it's out of control and, and then we have a bigger problem. But an ounce of prevention, in this case, uh, you know, investments in that prevention lead to major uh, uh, improvements in, in health outcomes, uh, ultimately for the world. Well, you said it so well, Michael, it's really data communication um, and building a collaboration of trust um, across the world. And I think that's one of the lessons learned here is that we need to go with data, go with science and go with communication and work collaboratively across all countries, all scientists. Um, you know, Michael, it's been so wonderful to chat with you today. Um, I am so appreciative of your tremendous leadership and, and um, making me feel welcome when I came 19 months ago. Um, we're going to have another session here where we're going to talk a little bit about the School of Medicine, School of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, but thank you so much. This has been a great thank you, session. Allison. Thank you, Allison. I look forward to the, the next episode in which we're going to talk a little bit more about what's happening in the School of Medicine in terms of the amazing work that your faculty are doing to advance biomedical research. Great. See you then. Take care. Bye. 
Like what you heard or have an idea for a future episode? Email the deans with your suggestions at deansdiscuss at ucdavis.edu. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Deans Discuss Podcasts is available free on demand at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon's TuneIn, Stitcher, Pandora, and Spotify. This is Deans Discuss. Thank you.